Several years ago, my daughter was in eighth grade, and we encouraged her to run for president of the student council. Now, normally, running for president of anything is a challenge, but complicating this for her was the fact that the elections were in early October, and we were a brand new family to the school. This meant that she would be running against kids who'd been there since kindergarten. And she was nervous about it at first, but as we do with all of our kids, we encouraged her to go for the highest that she could possibly get. Not vice president, not sergeant at arms, the highest that she could possibly get, especially if she had the ability to thrive in that position. So she decided to go for it. Now, for a couple of weeks, I kept asking her about this, and she told me things were going fine. That was the word. It's fine, daddy. (laughs) I didn't press too hard because I didn't want to overwhelm her. But truth be told, I was a little bit nervous because I couldn't really see her doing anything. And one day I went to the school and I saw all sorts of posters by the other candidates with glitter and pictures and all sorts of things. And of course, I came back home and was like, Brit, I didn't see any posters with your name on them. I didn't say it that calmly, of course. It was more like, you trying to win this thing or not kind of voice. (laughs) So that night, she gets poster board, she gets glue, she gets glitter, and a few other decorative elements, and she makes this poster. I'm thinking she's going to go crazy and make a bunch more, but the next day, after bringing the kids to school, I come back home, and I still see the poster at home. So... Anyway, she eventually brings this poster to school, and I keep going to the school and seeing other posters. And I see that by now she's put up a couple of small sheets with something on them, but nothing of the magnitude of the other people. So I keep softly trying to push her to, quote unquote, air quotes, campaign better. And every time I say something, she rebuffs me and is like, I got it, dad. So the election is a day or two away. And truthfully, I'm starting to feel like she's not taking this thing seriously, but I can't really overwhelm her with this because she's in a new school. And so I resigned myself to the saying in my head, oh, well, at least she ran. The day of the election comes and the students give their speeches. And at the end of the day, I pick her up and she gets in the car and says nothing to me. I'm bursting at this point. And I'm like, well, what happened? She says, oh, we gave our speeches today and the kids voted. And, oh, I won. (laughs) She says it like she expected it. And it really wasn't that big of a deal. And I'm, of course, I'm like, what? You won? How did you even win when you barely put up any signs and you didn't even take it seriously? She said, I took it seriously. I just didn't do it like everybody else. I said, what did, what did you do? She said, well, I gave them candy and I just spoke to people. <laughs> My jaw dropped. Candy and being nice. Hmm. Now there's a thought. How do you influence people when you need them to make a big choice? Let's talk about leading like a president. We talking about leadership communication, public speaking, storytelling, motivation. And if you listen, you can speak out to the nation. If you think about it, life is your own creation. RK3 is the show. He speaks with confidence. He speaks with that flow. 
And you should already know how it goes. You're rolling with a pro. The RK3 Show. Hey, 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 welcome to another episode of the RK3 Show. I'm Robert Kennedy III, RK3, that's me, and I'm so glad you're here. Marlene, glad you're here. Eric, glad you're here. Mark, glad you're here. Sharon and Jessica and Karen and Adrian and Amy and Hervé and Jeff and all the people have sent me messages. I'm glad you're here. Thanks for hanging out with me. If you haven't sent me a message lately, aw, I miss hearing from you. Come on. <laughs> Shoot me a message by going to robertkennedy3.com forward slash voicemail. That's robertkennedy3.com forward slash voicemail. I want to hear from you. I took a little time with the intro today, but I really wanted you to hear that story about my daughter. And boy, does she teach me a lesson. <laughs> Has that ever happened to you? You got a lesson from an unexpected source? Well, I learned a leadership lesson from my child. Whoa. And today we're going to be talking about leadership lessons from presidents. But before we get into the interview, I want to remind you to go back and check out some of the previous episodes. Listen to episode 52 with former NFLer Merrill Hodge, episode 54 with super inspiring David Villa, and check out episode episode 55 with uh, me. <laughs> yeah, there's a great message there about how to be heard when everyone else is speaking. So share the episodes with your friends by sending them to the RK3 show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Pandora, Spotify, our iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, and more wherever you listen to podcasts and grab your content. Now, we're about to start our interview, but I want to share one thing with you first. People are always asking me about equipment, what I use for this, what I use for that. So I'm sharing something with you. If you check the show notes, you'll see links for my podcast equipment and streaming setup resource list. It has the mics I use, the recording software I use, the basics of my scripting process, the lighting, the background, and even the desks I use in my office. Okay? Just wanted to share that with you because you're asking for it. <laughs> Let me know if you like it. Give me your feedback in the Storytellers Growth Lab. Join me there. If you've not joined me there yet, we're on Facebook, or you could just go to storytellersgrowthlab.com. I'll see you there. And now, the interview. I'm super excited about this guest because he's a down-to-earth guy who loves old-school hip-hop. Yeah, but he's been also in the room with some of the most influential men on Earth, United States presidents. As a matter of fact, in one of his most recent presidential roles, he was a healthcare spokesperson for President Barack Obama, and he is phenomenal at what he does. Let's tell the story. Let's chat with Anton Gunn. He is the only person that I know that has met and worked with and done stuff with five United States presidents. That's amazing, isn't it? Anton, what's happening, brother? Hey, brother, man. Good to be with you. RK3, I love your name, man. You got a phenomenal name, a historic name, and you have made it bigger and better any, than them other names. And so I'm happy to be here with you. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. Listen, so we introduced you as the man, the myth, the legend who's been able to be connected with all these presidents. How has that been? What's that been like for you? So I'll first say, man, it's... it's um, 
I've lived a very remarkable life. I mean, that's the, yeah. the first way I could describe it is, is remarkable. And uh, I would say that much of it is happenstance, but it's not happenstance. You know, you, you kind of purpose things to happen in your life. And sometimes they happen in a good way and sometimes they happen in a bad way. But nonetheless, they happen. And so what I'll just say is, you know, many of my presidential encounters were because of circumstances of other things. Mm. And only one of them was intentional. So my relationship and the opportunity to work for Barack Obama for three and a half years, that was all intention. That was me setting my mind to something and making it happen. And it wow. happened. But the other presidents and the count encounters with their administrations and their um, the people who work for them at a very high level have all been because of other reasons. And, um, and the key word to those reasons has been service. Wow. And, and, and I can tell you much more about that as deep as you want to go. Yeah. So here's one of the things that I pulled out of it, and I love it. You talked about intention. And when we talk about goal setting, especially we're at the beginning of the year here, we talk about goal setting. And some people say, you know, you just you write that thing and you put it on your wall and it's going to happen. Right. But that doesn't always take into account the work that you do in the background to grow the pain that you grow through. So what are some of the things that you had to do? What are some of the things that you had to push through in order to get to the point where you are able to build yourself as a presidential leadership expert? Yeah, so I, I will say um, the first thing, you have to have a relentless commitment to your goals. I mean, it's great to put goals on paper or write them on a whiteboard and put them on your wall and 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 walk by and look at them every day. But um, you got to be much more intentional than that. You got to literally say, what am I doing today to move me closer towards my goal? If you're not doing something every day, it won't happen. You have right. to be committed to it. And, and the things don't have to be big things. They can be small things, but you have to be intentional to it. And I would say the thing that I've been most intentional about in my entire life is my commitment to making myself a better leader. And that is figuring out what I can do to add value to other people. Because that's, for me, is the prerequisite of leadership is service. You have to be uh, a servant to people and add value to them uh, to put yourself in a position uh, to be a better leader. And so I commit to service. And so uh, how I got connected to these presidents and had these experiences is because of the word service. And it starts with my father. Uh, a lot of people don't know this about me, but I'm a fourth generation military brat. Wow. And when I say fourth generation, my great grandfather served in both world wars. My grandfather wow. served in World War II. Uh, my father and all of his brothers all served in the military. And it was at 17 years old when my father was serving in the United States Navy. And he got called away to Desert Storm to go on the other side of the world is when the president of the United States, George Herbert Walker Bush, made a decision to send Dan Quayle to my hometown of Virginia Beach, Virginia, really Norfolk, Virginia, yeah. and to give a speech in front of family members and to talk to family members about supporting their loved ones that went overseas. And that was the first time that I met uh, somebody who had president in their title, vice president of the United States. I was yeah. 17 years old because my father committed to service. Wow. And so... That's, that's the first encounter. My second encounter 
I'll tell very briefly, is, is in tragedy. So I, you know, I talked about uh, adversity comes at you and sometimes good things happen to you because of tragedy and you don't know it. Well, the thing that you'll read about in my book, The Presidential Principles, is my second presidential encounter happened on October 20th, 2000. Yeah. That was literally eight days, eight days after my younger brother, Sharon, who served in the United States Navy the same way that my father did, Sharon was killed in a terrorist attack aboard the USS Cole by two Al-Qaeda suicide bombers. Wow. And there's nothing more devastating than losing a, a loved one in a tragic death. But could you imagine losing someone in a terrorist attack, particularly during peacetime? This is before most Americans had any idea who Al-Qaeda or Osama bin Laden was because he wasn't a household name until 9-11. But this was a year before 9-11. My brother gets killed, and eight days later, the president of the United States takes a direct flight from Egypt to Norfolk, Virginia, because he wants to meet with the families who lost a loved one in a terrorist attack. Wow. And my second encounter was with President Bill Clinton on October 20th, 2000. Wow. Wow. So you talked about um, service, and you talked about that as being the catalyst or one of the things that really put you in the space where you you can have some of these encounters. So maybe let's talk about somebody who's not in the military. Let's even get more practical. What are some of the things that you suggest, recommend? What are some things that people can do? And I know you've got yeah. service uh, yeah. to your community from maybe even a political standpoint. Correct. Correct. Background. What are some things that you might recommend to people to not just so that they can meet presidents, but so that they can really know that they can be in a space where they can serve others from their from their own authentic self. That's correct. Yeah. So that's a great question. A great lead in. Um, I know you probably heard this phrase before and we've Mm -hmm. all heard it where it says your network will determine your net worth. That's right. And, And people usually talk about it as if, you know, how big, however big your network is, that's how much more money you're going to make. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't attribute it that way. When I say your network determines your net worth, I'm talking about what is your net worth to the people around you? Yeah. What is your net value to people around you? And how many people have you determined that you're going to become valuable to? Mm-hmm. And so when I say network and net worth, I'm talking about can you commit yourself to serving people right where you are? It doesn't matter if you're a frontline employee, if you're a manager or a supervisor, or it doesn't matter what role you're in. If you come in contact with people on a daily basis in any way, shape, or form, yeah. you can serve them. Okay, And service is something that is not only um, what I call a, a direct benefit to the people who receive your service, but it's a direct benefit to you because of how it makes you feel to know that you've added value or you've helped other people. And so for me, I would tell anybody the first step uh, to being influential, to put yourself in a position is figuring out who you can help to achieve what they want to achieve. It's not for you to decide what they want or what's good for them. It's your responsibility to decide to say, yes, I'm going to do something to help you. And my unlinting commitment to serving other people and my family's unlinting commitment to serving other people in the military um, 
it has made a great difference. I know nurses and doctors and social workers are people who commit their entire professional careers to serving other people, and they become incredibly influential because of their net worth to the lives of those other people. So I would say it doesn't matter what you do. You just got to make a decision to help the people around you. Communication, motivation, leadership, and more. You're listening to the RK3 Show. Have you ever wondered why some people are able to be remembered so easily? Have you ever thought about why they are associated with certain experiences? Well, it's because they repeat those experiences regularly. They have what is called a signature story. And guess what? You have one too. You might not know how to find it or tell it yet, but you have one. Here's what I want you to do. Sign up for my free five-day email course and learn how to discover your signature story so that you can tell it, create impact, improve your influence, and even enhance your brand. Sign up for the five-day signature story email course. Check the show notes for the link. And now, back to the show. That's awesome, man. So you talked about your book earlier, the, the, the Presidential Principles. Um, and you are a speaker. You are a storyteller. You're in, you're in front of people. And one of the reasons that you speak or that most speakers speak is not just to share words with people, but you want to transform lives. You want to move people towards action. So in, in that book, what is what is a principle that you would say that you share with people to help them move others towards action? Yeah, so um, that's a great question. So when I, when I wrote the book, um, it's, it's become an Amazon number one in the hospital administration category because I work a lot with healthcare organizations primarily because they're the organizations that we all rely on in some way, shape, or form. Right. And one day we're going to get sick. We're going to have a baby. We're going to need our LASIK exam. We're going to need something. So we're going to come in contact with a doctor or a nurse But what most people don't realize is that there's in some of the most toxic work environments that we've ever seen. Um, 55% of doctors want to quit medicine. They consider quitting medicine in the last two years. The average nurse burns out in three years. And so people are in this work environment and it's very difficult for them to thrive. And so anybody who manages in that environment, if you're a leader in that environment, I want you to be helpful to the people who we need the most. Those are doctors and nurses. So here's what I talk about in the book. There's one principle, and the principle is called decide to engage. Now, when I say engage, I'm talking about if you're a manager or CEO or business leader, employee engagement is critical in every organization. We all know that if your employees are not engaged, they're not productive, you're going to have high turnover, it's going to cost you more in business. And in healthcare, if a doctor quits, it costs that hospital $120,000 to $150,000 to bring in a new doctor. If wow. a nurse quits, it's going to cost you between fifty dollars and $80,000. So if you decide to engage, you're going to retain those people longer and lower your costs. So here's what engagement looks like in my book. I tell every leader, no matter who you lead, no matter who you work with, when people show up to work every day, whether it's an employee or whether it's a customer that comes through the door, they're asking you three questions every day. They may never verbalize these questions to you, but you bet your bottom dollar they're asking these questions every day when they see your face. And question number one is, do you care about me? Mm. Question number two is, will you help me to be successful? 
And question number three is, can I trust you? Wow. And so do you care about me? Will you help me? And can I trust you? Are fundamental questions that a leader needs to understand what's on the hearts and minds of every person that they lead, because that's how you engage with a person. Don't just tell me to do my job, or don't just tell me to go lift these boxes or to go check these things off. You're telling me what to do, but you're not telling me that you care about me. Show me that you care about me. Show me that you're willing to help me to be successful at my job. And then show me that I can trust you. And I'm not saying you should verbalize your answers to these questions every day, but you need to show your answers to these questions through your actions. So what are you doing every day to show people that you care about them, that you're willing to help them and that they can trust you. So whether it's a customer, whether it's an employee, whether it's a patient, whether it's a coworker, if you answer those questions, you've decided to engage, which allows you to grow yourself as a leader because the answers that they give you are going to tell you how you serve them. And that's the most important principle that I try to lay out for people. Wow. So as a, as a, as a speaker, as, as a leader, one of the things that you really help people to do is, is to connect first of all, yes. and then, and then inspire people to, to greater, to better. So let me ask you, who has had the greatest impact on you? Who inspires you? Oh man. Uh, the list is very, very long. Um, but I will tell you, I'll start with my first inspiration. The very first person that made me want to commit to being a leader and wanted to make a difference in my community. And that's Chuck D of Public Enemy. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, so um, uh, a lot of people don't know me. I'm a huge hip-hop head. I tell people hip-hop is who I am. Leadership and the healthcare environment is what I do. But hip-hop is who I am. And as a young adult teenager, really, I was a teenager, I was kind of wayward, making wrong decisions and bad decisions. And it was hip-hop that told me that, Anton, you can be a part of the problem or you can be a part of the solution. And Public Enemy's music gave me a way to be a part of the solution. And so I listened to all of their music, read every lyric that they ever wrote, and it was Chuck D who did an interview in 1990. And the interviewer asked him, says, hey, Chuck, uh, what's your goal? Is your goal to go platinum and to make a million dollars? Chuck D said, no, my goal is to not go platinum. My goal is to create 5,000 new black leaders in our community. And when Chuck D said that, I said, I want to be one of those community leaders. And that is when I began my journey of figuring out how I can be a leader that makes a difference for people. And it's Chuck D and Public Enemy and Music that started the inspirational journey that I'm on to this day. Wow, that's amazing. I'm, I am remembering lyrics right now, 1989, the summer, sound of the funky drummer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's childhood right yes. there. And I think yes. One of the things that a lot of people, you hear the music, but you, always, you don't always hear the message behind it, especially some of the deeply socially conscious messages yeah. that, that come through that. So, so let me ask you this. So let's, let's talk about Chuck D just for a second. Yes. What, what do you think was the um, greatest impact that he had on, on people of his time or even now? What, what, what's the impact that you think he's really had? Yeah. So um, that's great. And this is a conversation that I've actually had with Chuck D. So he, he wrote the forward to my first book. It's called The Audacity of Leadership. And uh, nice. Chuck D was kind enough to um, bless me by writing the forward to my book. And 
he talked about in the book when he grew up in Roosevelt, Long Island, New York, um, that the words of civil rights leaders are what resonated in his spirit. I mean, he was he was seven years old when Dr. King was killed and he was uh, five year old when, when Malcolm X was around. So those early words shaped him as a young man. And that's why he was so conscious of everything that he put into his music, because he knew his words were going to matter for generations. And so for me, uh, Chuck D is who I got my social conscience from. Wow. He taught me everything about inequity. He taught me things about injustice and unfairness and what's the responsibility for a leader to make that right. And literally, that's what I teach organizations, that if you want to build a world-class culture, you have to rid your organization of unfairness. And you got to create an opportunity to have more justice and equity. And that is helping the people that you lead by building that culture. So Chuck D taught me the difference between uh, right and righteousness. And wow. where you want to be is you want to be righteous and not just right. Because a lot of people will claim that they're right, but there are very few people who are actually righteous in what they do, how they lead, how they inspire, how they motivate people, and how they build an environment where everybody is productive and successful at work. And that's what I want from the stage. When I talk from the stage, I want people to know how to go back and build an environment where they spend their time making things righteous for the people that they lead. That's awesome, man. We could take this conversation so many different ways. I'm really enjoying the conversation. But let's turn this way. Since you just talked about the stage, I want to ask you, when you get on stage as a storyteller, as a speaker, again, like much like leaders, your job is to inspire people, inspire them towards towards action. Is there a tangible, practical, specific thing that you do to really bring that to life or make that happen? And let's talk about some of the mechanicals of that. Yeah. So uh, so I would say, you know, from the stage, um, one of the greatest moments for me is always the opening on the stage, because uh, if you want to inspire people, you have to grab them like you can't you can't um, hope that they get inspiration from your talk. You have to create the environment to set it up so they will be um, easy to accept inspiration. So you got to grab them. So for me, my opening is always uh, with a big bang. And that context for me is I use music a lot. I really do use music a lot because we know music hits, hits uh, everybody in different ways and people always connect to, to music. We're all musical beings, whether we want to admit it or not, it moves us. And so um, my introduction is full of music. Sometimes it's Rob Bass and DJ Easy Rock, It Takes Two. Other yeah. times... Is the song that I had produced for me. Um, I had a producer produce a song for me. And, and so I use music to kind of grab people, to get people committed um, to paying attention. And once they pay attention, then I know I have them. Then I know that I can put them in a new position um, that they can receive what I'm saying. So I would say high energy music is how I start from the beginning to get people to pay attention to what I'm doing. Awesome. Awesome. Somebody needed to hear that and somebody's definitely going to need to rewind that so that they can rethink how they operate and how they present themselves to people, especially if their goal is to inspire them or create, motivate them towards action. Anton, listen, brother, I've appreciated your time today. Where can people find out more about you, get connected with you online? That's fantastic. You can always, the home for me is at antongun.com. If you start at AntonGun.com, that's where you'll find all of my um, 
new information, you can join my email list there. You can, of course, go to Instagram. You can go to Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'm on all of those places. And, of course, my YouTube channel, you can subscribe there as well. Leadership ain't easy, but think about being the president of a country. Wow. Now there's a job. You may not be president, but you can certainly lead like one. Commit to learning principles of leadership that will help you make an impact in your world because your world does need you. It needs you to make the difference you're called to make. It needs you to tell the story that you're called to tell. So let's go tell it. Ah, who's next? Oh, my. We've got some great guests coming up. We've got the amazing Johnny Parker, life coach to NFL players and other pro athletes, and the awesome Felicia Slattery. We have financial storyteller Lisa Anderson, former Redskin Brian Mitchell, and bestseller in a weekend with Alicia Dunham's. Trust me, you don't want to miss the next few weeks. If you haven't subscribed yet, look up the podcast on your favorite podcast outlets and hit that subscribe button. We're going to continue the amazing conversations. Don't forget to check the show notes. I've got two links there for you. First, there's that resource PDF I was talking about earlier, but there's also a link for you to learn how to tell your signature story with my free five-day email course. Learn how to discover and ultimately tell your signature story in order to impact influence, and inspire. Check the show notes and sign up today. Lastly, I want you to join me in the Storytellers Growth Lab on Facebook. We're looking to equip 1 million people to tell their stories with confidence and for profit. Search the Storytellers Growth Lab on Facebook. I'll see you there. Listen, I know that life ain't always easy and you've got a lot of stuff happening to you, but guess what? Everything that happens to you in life is your stuff. Your stuff is your story and your story deserves a stage. I'm Robert Kennedy III, RK3, and you've been listening to The RK3 Show.